Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. This is episode seven, and we're, today we're going to be talking about Beverly Hills Cop. But before we do, we're going to talk about what we've been listening to. Before we get to what you were, you've been listening to, Leslie. I want to talk about what I've been listening uh-huh. to. Because it, I see what you did there. <laughs> there there's Selfish. a reason. There, no, there is a reason. Uh, I've been listening to Lego Universe by Brian Tyler. It's a game that came out years ago, and I, I remember. Uh, watching a video on his website about this and because it was a remote uh, session with the orchestra and the conductor at the time he was talking about how he didn't really have to change any of the music or anything like that because the music was just it worked so well and they just now released it on digital uh, earlier this week and it it was great because it starts off with Patrick Stewart talking and the themes and the Music does not sound like Brian Tyler because Brian Tyler is more known for his action, like fast and guitar. Yeah, a lot of guitar work and stuff like that. Not, you know, fantasy, you know, kid like elements in a score. Whimsical. Whimsical. Yeah, yeah, that's another word that we could use. <laughs> maybe that's the Whimsy. word. Maybe that was the word I was looking for. I'm not too sure. But Danny yeah. Elfman. No, it, it's not really Danny Elfman. The way it plays out, it it's just more whimsical, uh, and and it and it has its own style and theme. And the theme that he created for the for the game plays throughout the the score, and it comes in at the right moments just from listening to it. But there was there was one track in particular uh, uh i can't remember the name of it now it's something with a crocodile it, it was it was so fun i was sitting there kind of like bobbing my head in, in the car as i was heading to work listening to it now <laughs> now let's get to what you've been listening to um well it's not really a score that i've been listening to <laughs> um so i Felt compelled to listen to this piece of music because you were doing Beverly Hills Cop. So the album that I was listening to, Chris, you can tell everybody. It was uh, H. John Benjamin. He does the voice of uh, Bob on Bob's Burgers. And Jazz Daredevil came up with a album called The Soundtrack Collection. So this album, The Soundtrack Collection, has a selected group of soundtracks on it that... Themes. Uh, soundtrack themes. The themes, yeah. rather. Not the whole scores or the whole soundtracks, but the themes. And they're very notable themes. Well, Axel F is one of the themes on there. Well, it's a comedy. So it's not played <laughs> quite correctly. <laughs> There are some misnotes. There are some notes that uh, are crashed into the other notes. Timing is off. Keys have changed. But it's absolutely funny if you know the themes that are on the album. So whereas Beverly Hills Cop goes do 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 
his version goes not kidding first time i heard this i laughed so hard i started crying I was not expecting this. I seen it popped up as like a sponsored ad on um, Instagram. And I was like, okay, what is this? It's it's John Benjamin from Bob's Burgers. And he come up with an album, which is, is not entirely unheard of because Matt Berry from the IT crowd has an album and he sounds fantastic. And it's not a comedy. It's a very serious. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, maybe it's just he, he made an album. No. <laughs> so... You know, it was after we watched the movie, after we listened to the score, um, Chris and I were coming home, <laughs> and so Chris had to stop and get something from the gas station, and it was dark, so I didn't want him to go in there by himself, you know, at night, and uh, he was following me home, uh, so... Uh, I pulled into the gas station and Chris peeked in the car and he wanted to know if I needed anything when he went in there. And he's like, what are you listening to? I says, you really want to know? He says, yeah, I want to listen to. So then I put the Axel F theme on and Chris is like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's when I said, oh, yeah, we got to mention that on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, he then said that we needed to mention it. So that's what I've been listening to. It's not really a score. But it, it, it's it's soundtrack inspired. So if you guys have not listened to this already, uh, go on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to music from. It, it, I think it's on YouTube as well. L- look up John Benjamin and Jazz Daredevil, the soundtrack collection. This is not an ad or nothing like that. Seriously, go find it. He covers it, it, Love Story. He covers Chariots Axel of Fire. Ed. Chariots of Fire. Halloween. Is on there. Halloween, which is horrible. But it, it opens up with um, uh, Top Kenny, Gun. Yeah, Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone. And Kenny Loggins, I, I, I don't know if it really is Kenny Loggins, but it might be. Kenny Loggins is listening, and he cuts in, and he's like, oh, John, no, this is terrible. We can't go with this. I don't want to spoil it, but seriously, guys, go find this and listen to it. It was wonderful. I I laughed so hard. I still I still think it's funny. Yeah, we laughed so hard we actually cried on this one. So it's it's pretty amazing. But that's not what we're going to be covering today. Today we're covering Beverly Hills Cop by Harold Faltermeyer. The, the very actual, first one. The actual score to the very first film. Now the if you haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop, it's the story of a Detroit detective who. One of his friends visits him, visits him out of the blue. The friend gets killed. Eddie Murphy goes to Beverly Hills to track down the killer who murdered his friend and then, you know, gets tied up all in all this and gets the Beverly Hills Police Department involved and shootouts occur, laughs and jokes. It's a wonderful movie. It's a comedy. It's not an action. It's not like a typical cop Action movie, you know, serious. It's, it's, it's got uh, very right. comedic elements to it because it's Eddie Murphy. Um, and uh, you got to keep in mind that the majority of the movie, when Eddie Murphy's concerned, was ad-libbed. I did not know that. Yes. So it wasn't scripted. A lot of it, for his part, was not scripted. I mean, that, that makes sense, though. I mean, because the, the opening, 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in the movie section. But yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was ad-libbed. Uh, the movie was an immediate blockbuster and was the highest grossing film released in 1984, and it made $234 million. That is a lot of money back then. It Well, it's a lot of money now. Well, I mean, it's a lot of money now, but I mean, especially for back then. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and it was produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry, uh, unfortunately, you know, Don Simpson, Don Simpson passed away. Jerry Bruckheimer's name, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean, Bad Boys, uh, National Treasure, huge name films that are, and he's still producing to this day. I mean, especially the CSI TV series. I mean, that's, that's huge right then and there. And this, in 1984, coming out strong like this that's, that's something else so it, it the movie took a, a few years to make um they have there was a few big named actors they were trying they were going to consider for the role of axel foley and one of them was vicky rourke he was considered for the role i cannot consider i could not see whiplash in, in this role at all yeah well you know at the time he was really popular and they wanted to put him in the film and then the this is what amazed me. Sylvester Stallone was considered <laughs> for the role. So Sylvester Stallone took it upon himself to rewrite the script. Well, I mean, he is a good writer. To make it more fitting for the films that he was in. Because, you know, he filmed Rocky prior to this. And he filmed Rambo prior to this. All right, so let me take a stab. Less humor, more action. Absolutely. <laughs> you got it right. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> ding, 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 So ding. he took the original script and he made it more action-packed. And less humorous, more gun violence. And um, he claims, now this is a rumor, but he claims that there was a falling out because they could not come to a decision on what type of orange juice to keep in his trailer. <laughs> I've read that. I could see that. So after he got kicked off the film, he went ahead and used the majority of that script he used for Beverly Hills Cop for Cobra. Which a lot of people like Cobra. I'm not a big fan of My Cobra. My brother loves that movie. I, I'm not a big fan of Cobra. My brother likes Cobra. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big Cobra fan. I'm sorry. I'm not either. I, I think it's lacking. Yeah. But... Uh, so Cobra, when you watch Cobra, a lot of that the elements in Cobra was supposed to be for Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Fultemeyer, his theme song for this movie reached number one in 1985 on the charts. And Fultemeyer was a classically trained German composer. And they got a start with assisting uh, Giorgio Moroder. I cannot pronounce his name because anytime I see it, I think of Mordor. <laughs> I was thinking the same yes. thing every time I saw that With name. With Midnight Express. So we're going to say Mordor. Uh, <laughs> no, un- unfortunately, you know, we we are going to get names wrong on this podcast. We're Southern and we apologize. <laughs> Our English sometimes is not the best. Yeah. So if anybody's listening to this and they're going, oh my God, they brought that name wrong. Sorry. I'm sorry. I speak German and Southern. That's it. That's all I speak. <laughs> so, uh, his last name is spelled, for y'all that want to know, <laughs> M-O-R-O-D-E-R. Marauder. Marauder. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> anyway. 
Uh, he assisted him with Midnight Express prior to uh, working on this film. Okay. Yes. And so then Faltermeyer, you know, after this film came out, went uh, on to do Fletch and Top Gun. After this film? After this film. Okay. And, and then, not only that, because after listening to the score for Beverly Hills Cop, I was um, I was at work, and I usually watch you know either TV or uh, a movie at work during my lunch, so I decided to watch Tango and Cash, and I'm sitting there, and the film starts up and everything, and this is one of those rare instances where the film starts up with no opening credits at all, so I had no idea who was directing, who was scoring, whatever. Movie starts up, starts playing, and I start hearing this synthesized music start up. And I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty good. All of a sudden, a theme comes in. I'm like, this sounds like Harold Faltermeyer, because I just listened to the the, the, <laughs> the score for Beverly Hills Cop. I'm like, no, this can't be Harold Faltermeyer. He didn't do Tango and Cash. No. And all of a sudden, it kept going. I'm like, this sounds just like Faltermeyer. Sure enough, it was Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> He's got his own style. Well, it's like I couldn't get away from him. And, and you know, you're talking about the Stallone taking the humor out of Beverly Hills Cop. Tango and Cash is full of humor. I mean, that's all it is, is Kurt Russell and Stallone just going back and forth, you know, riffing on each other. I yeah, mean, I hadn't seen that movie in a very long time. It's still funny, and it's still great. I mean, and so for Stallone to take the, you know, humor out of Beverly Hills Cop, maybe he realized, oh, maybe I should have kept the humor in. Did that movie come out around the same time that Turner Hooch came out? I think so. Yeah, because I get those two confused. I would, too. I think... It was it tank? You said Tango and Cash, right? Yeah, I could see Cash as being the hooch, Turner <laughs> hooch. And I'm sure Kurt Russell really appreciates that, right? I now. know, but it's you know, it blurs together. The '80s blur together. For yeah, me. they do. They do. <laughs> well, this is like late '80s, early '90s. Still blurs together. Yeah, I know. The older you get, the more blurry it gets. <laughs> so, one of the things about the score, it's very '80s pop synthesized score there's no orchestra in here there's I, as far as i know there's no live instruments in the score itself now faltemeyer won a grammy for his work on beverly hills cop so he won a grammy for this score um, that we're about to discuss and and you can tell it yeah there, there's a lot of moments where you can really tell especially for the beverly hills cop theme which he refers to as the banana theme and the reason for that is there's a scene which Eddie Murphy is sticking a banana in the tailpipe of Judge Reinhold and Taggart. I cannot remember the actor's name. I think it's John Ashton. You fail. I think it's John Ashton. I can't use my phone. But I can't tell you fail because I don't remember his name. <laughs> I just remember the character, Taggart. But he puts the banana in the tailpipe. So the theme was originally written for that one scene. And I guess they liked it so much. They're like, hey, why don't we just make this a theme for Beverly Hills Cop? So that's what happened. Yeah, but that the- that scene was originally written for potatoes. So it would have been the potato theme. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was they could not get to potatoes. And one of the shots that, uh, or a few of the scenes that they were shooting was at the lobby of this hotel. And the lobby was still open. So they went ahead and shot in the lobby, yeah. which had bananas. And featured a very young Damon Wayans. Oh, he's still funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the theme itself was uh, made by three different synthesizers. A Roland Jupiter 8, a Roland JX3P, and a Yamaha DX7. A what? Yamaha DX7. Yamaha? Yamaha. Yamaha. <laughs> Yamaha. Whatever. Okay. 
Again, like we were just talking about, we're Southern. <laughs> I want to play one of those Yamaha pianos. <laughs> Shut it. So uh, JP-8, or Jupiter-8, has 61 keys and is a polyphonic analog subtractive synthesizer. Now, a polyphonic property uh, is a property of music instruments, which means they can can play more than one melody at a time. So basically, it plays it out, and you can add to it. Now, this was 1982, 83, 84, very early 80s. So to be able to have synthesizers that can do something like this, that was amazing at the well, time. Well, it was an ex- also an expensive synthesizer. Right. Yeah, yeah, making fun of me. Let's uh-huh. try to tongue tie that. That's what you get. So, and the Roland JX3P was the first one to incorporate MIDI, M-I-D-I. That is a huge accomplishment because MIDI is still used to this day. Yeah, I know you use MIDI. Yeah, I use a lot of MIDI files. So explain what MIDI files do. MIDI files are basically, you can record the notes um, straight up and export each individual note out. I do not know the actual term for MIDI and everything else, but I mean, I download MIDI files and it has the entire score laid out in one project file. So you mean each note or each Each instrument? instrument, Each instrument. I'm sorry. Each instrument. Oh, okay. So if I had a composition, for example, that had like a flute and a, let's say a tuba and and a French horn. It will separate it by instrument. So I could separate... This is the French horn line out of there. Right. And, that, and that's what I, I've used. Uh, so like I was trying to play Star Wars and I didn't have the note. I couldn't find just the sheet music for it. So I downloaded a MIDI file and it had each instrument separated for me. And it was all laid out to where I could play just just the brass, just the oh, strings. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's what a MIDI file is. Okay. And so for the JX3P to, you know, to be the first one to incorporate MIDI, that is huge. Well, the Yamaha DX7, from what I read, was one of the highest selling uh, keyboards at the time, and they sold over 200,000 units between 83 wow. and 89. That was the range, I think, that they used that particular Yamaha. Um, so it was, a, it was a top seller. And see, that's, that's uh, crazy because now um, I have... The, the Yamaha DX7 software on my computer. The entire DX7 is right there virtually on my computer. I thought that was amazing. So right when you said that, the DX7. Yeah, that was a I'm big like, honking piece of technology. And what's sitting on your desk is like really itty bitty tiny. <laughs> I got a 25 key That's uh, right. Keyboard. It's not 61 keys. <laughs> no. It's 25. That hooks up USB. <laughs> it's a little bitty. And it... And it for him to have all three of these synthesizers just for the score, that that is amazing. That he that it, he was able to create an entire score for a feature film using just three synthesizers. That's awesome. That's that awesome. that is a huge accomplishment. That's better than what I could do. I could put two <laughs> notes together, and they sound like the most horrid thing ever. One of the things listening to the score itself, um, there was not a huge amount of variety. Yeah, I noticed that. Of course, you know, the first thing that I picked up on was the fact that it was synth, which is fine. You know, that was really big in the and, 80s. And it's it's not like it was bad sounding synthesizer either. It, it had a great sound to it. There was, you know, it was very catchy, very upbeat, and very fun to listen to. But, you know, like the synth, uh, the Yamaha synth, uh, 
synthesizer that he utilized. Um, they also utilized it in rock ballads. They utilized it in some pop songs. Aha used it. Uh, there's a few other bands that used it at the time. So, I mean, it was quite popular to uh, synthesize music. You know, that was the sound that they were looking for at the time. So, um, you know, listening to the score, that stuck out. So, you know, the first thing that I thought of was, okay, this was popular culture. Um, he, you know, he he wrote the music to the times to put into this, you know, upbeat, hip, quote unquote, film. You know, which right. is what it was supposed to be. Yeah, and and it, and it works, and you can tell, and it, and it like I said, it, it had a great sound to it. It was very enjoyable to listen to, but the the problem I was noticing just listening to it was it you know you hear the very very iconic Beverly Hills Cop theme. And then there's, um, I, I call it the searching theme, comes in, and then it goes back to the Beverly Hills Cop theme, then it goes back to the searching theme, and then it goes back to, then it something new will come in there every so often. But once that something new comes in, he sticks with it for so long, then all of a sudden back to the Beverly Hills Cop theme, then goes back to, I think there's a, something called the shootout theme. And, and listening to it, I toward the end of it, I got a little bored with it. You know, and I, I'm used to listening to classical music. I'm used to listening to um, John Williams, for example. His scores, scores that aren't synth-based, right. scores that actually have an orchestra backing, or even scores that might have a touch of guitar or synthesizer to it. But the majority of the score is uh, instrumental-based. And listening to this score... Um, as a musician, it made it difficult for me, and I don't know if it was because it was the synthesized part, uh, but it made it difficult for me to sometimes pull out the melody, or it made it difficult for me to pull out the counter melody. Um, it's like my brain just was like, what? <laughs> what am I listening to? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good, for, for the most part, of picking out those elements and a piece or picking out, um, you know, the, um, the meaning of the piece. And it was kind of hard for me when I listened to the score to do that. Right. But was it still enjoyable for you? Did you well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it reminded me of my youth. It reminded me of, um, uh, listening to some of those old pop songs that were popular at the time. And of course, you know, Axel F theme, uh, I grew up listening to that. Right. So, you know, it, it was nostalgic for me to go back and listen to the score. And uh, so it was enjoyable in that aspect. But as far as, you know, the musicianship behind it, it was difficult for me to pick out those elements. And right. I think it was because it was synthesized and it's because I'm not accustomed to listening to music like that. Well, see it being synthesized didn't bother me because I mean, I, I even created an album that is entirely synthesized. I get asked a lot of the time to create the synthesized score. So that part didn't bother me too much. Um, well, the score itself didn't really bother me. It was just, uh, I think there should have been a little bit more change of a little bit more variety, but going back and listening to and, and thinking about, okay, well, this is what was for a big, you know, budget blockbuster action comedy. This is what, you know, this is what made it. This is what they they liked back then. It is, it's kind of amazing 
you know, especially when it was created with just three synthesizers. I thought thinking thinking back on that, I thought that's that's kind of cool, I guess. It's cool and you know, as I stated, I had difficulty with picking out um themes and melodies and counter melodies. I had difficulty doing that, but the other thing I had difficulty doing um is trying to figure out what the piece was for. Right. Because, you know, in uh a structured score, uh you can pick out sometimes what the piece is for. Uh I remember when we sat down one time and listened to uh it was the Spider Man movie that had um that uh Hans Zimmer did. Oh, Amazing Spider Man. The Amazing Spider Spot yeah, the the second one. And it had um oh, what's the electric guy's name? Oh, Electro. Electro. It had Electro in it. And uh, so we sit down and we listen to the score. And as soon as Electro's theme came on, mm-hmm. and I remember telling you this, I was able to describe to a T his life. Okay, this is what's going on here. Right. This is what's going on here um, by the music and through the music. Right. And granted, you know, his score wasn't 100% instrumental. But I could do that in that score. And I can do that in most scores. But this one here, I had kind of a difficult time trying to visualize what the piece was for. Because it's it's mainly the same thing over and over and over. Every time. And, and that's that's what we mean by variety. It was just, like I said, he, he gets this one theme and he just sticks with it for a little bit. And all of a sudden, all Beverly Hills Cop theme comes in. Then, uh, you know, Axel F, sorry. And then all of a sudden, you know, the so it's got same thing, same thing, Axel F comes in, same thing, same thing, Axel F comes in. And it's just, it was one of those things, listening to it, it was kind of hard to to understand what was going on just by listening to it. Now, when we started watching the film, the first thing that happens is a song plays. It's not a score, but it's a song. The heat is on. The heat is on. Yep, just totally embarrassed myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a very catchy song. Did not know it was written for the film by Faltemeyer. But it was written by Keith Forsey and Harold Faltemeyer and it was performed by Glenn Frey. I I didn't know it was written by him. I didn't either until we started uh doing research for this film. And, you know, granted, I used to sing that song all the time as a kid, you know, we dance still around do. the house. We still around. sing it sometimes. <laughs> Um, but it was nice to know that he took part in writing it. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's great. And that wasn't the only song that he did. There was a song called uh, "Stir It Up," and it was perform- it was produced by Faltermeyer and performed by Patti LaBelle. So then the second piece uh, started to play, still no score, and it was the Neutron Dance. Yeah. Yeah, still no score. And it was the first action sequence of right, the movie. Right, big 18-wheeler driving through That has Detroit. Eddie Murphy in the back of yeah, it swinging. With the cigarettes flying everywhere and the crashing in the cars. But still no score. Still no score. The only time we get score is probably like 15, 20 minutes now into the film. Now we're exaggerating. It might not even be 15 minutes, but it felt like that. And it's for Axel is driving up, pulling into his apartment. With his crappy car that he's driving. <laughs> Crappy Chevy Blue, Blue Chevy Nova. Blue Chevy Nova. That's so, um, that's the first hint of the the song, the the uh, score that we get. And it's but the theme. It's, 
the theme. So they, they put the theme that early in the music or in the movie rather. So we're like, okay, I, I wrote it down on my notes. Okay. You know, we listened to the theme. Well, and then, then the, the bad guys show up, they, they kill his friend. And I still, I don't, I do not remember any score for that scene, which I may be wrong, but I, I don't remember hearing a score for that. And it was a very dramatic scene, but there was, if there There's was no any, score. if there was score, it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't known. Our our little mascot just made a groaning noise. He probably doesn't agree. Yes, we have a little Yorkie. He's our mascot. He's with us every time we record. So he's always in Leslie's arms. Say so. hi to Mr. Thomas. <laughs> so, but yeah, and that was such a dramatic scene that I don't remember a score. And like I said, Eddie Murphy's, you know, Axel's friend just got killed. Still no score. Still no music. And then the fourth time we actually hear music in the movie it's part of the soundtrack. It's stirred up by, it's you know, Patty LaBelle. No score. Yeah. So uh, we have this period of time where we have this score piece and then soundtrack. Score piece and soundtrack. And it's really oddly, it feels odd because it's timed oddly, um, that uh, there's a lack of score in places that, uh, in my mind, should have had score. Right. And, and... I don't know. I mean, can you call those songs part of the score? Maybe. Maybe that's what Fultimari was trying to do. It, you know, looking back, it seems like what he has done was mixed score with soundtrack. So it's not like it's a separate entity. So, for example, when you watch these movies nowadays that have music in the background, you'll hear the score piece, but they would put what they call a soundtrack in it. And the soundtrack is actually the music, as in singing, you know, uh, pop tunes or whatnot. Uh, for the film Resident Evil, I watched it with the commentary on, and Paul Anderson was talking about that type of music. It's normally called source music. And um, I remember because he was saying for that film, they had Marilyn Manson doing the score with Mark Beltrami, so they called it source music. So... I never knew that for the longest time until, you know, I watched the commentary. So to have a lot of source music in with this film, maybe that's what they were doing back then. It seems like they've mixed it up because he won an award for this. And I highly doubt that it was just because he wrote Axel F. Even though that was a great piece, it seems like it was a combination of that and the pieces that he helped write to contribute to the movie in my mind right and and maybe that's what it was maybe the the source music was just part of the score in in his mind i mean because axel f became so popular there was even a music video with Hilary faltemeyer dancing around in a trench coat you know on like a green screen and <laughs> ed beverly hills cop was playing behind him the first time i saw that i was like that, that, a composer <laughs> sitting there playing the theme which Harold Faltermeyer performed every bit of this, every bit of the score. Yes, he did. He's classically trained. And uh, to, <laughs> to see that music video was, was something else. So if you've never seen this, look that up. Harold Faltermeyer, Axel F, music video, and it's out there, trust me. So then the other thing that I noticed with as the movie progressed, that every time that they would put a score piece in there, it would be Axel F. <laughs> repeated over and over and over again so you know then of course my smart elky self was like oh i see why this became so popular 
Because you hear it so much, then it gets stuck in your mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is true, because it does. I mean, after this film, I'm just walking into work, you know, and do, 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 do. Oh, stop it. You know, and, but it works. For all the scenes in the movie, it seems like they put Axel F in there. Yeah. There, there was only very little variety with the theme, too. Like, sometimes you change up, like, the, the pitch or something like that. There was only one instance I remember where there was something different with the theme, and it was when Axel is... It wasn't Judge Reinhold and Taggart. Uh, it wasn't Billy and Taggart. It was the other two cops um, following him, and he blew through a uh, red light, and you hear a slight variation. There's, like, a higher note and a lower note playing. All of a sudden, then... The, the XLF comes back. So, you know, the thing that I was looking for was to see if he utilized all the pieces we listened to on the score in the movie. And there was only one instance besides the Axel F theme that I heard of a, a he utilized the piece outside of the score. It seemed like the rest of the pieces, I don't know if they were hidden within the movie or I just wasn't paying attention, um, but I didn't hear them. I heard one that was put in there, but not all of them. So all the pieces that were in the score themselves, I felt like I didn't hear in the movie. Uh, yeah, th- there was a lot of moments like that in there. So maybe it wasn't fully his idea. Maybe it was a combination of the director, producers, whatever, studio maybe. Maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe there was supposed to be more score and they decided against it. I mean, that that is a possibility that it does happen, but... Uh, I don't know. I the I the movie was fantastic, and the score for what was there. I mean, it sounded great in the film, and it worked with the humor and everything else, and it worked with Eddie Murphy's character. There should have just been more. There should have been more variety. It should have so been something different. So let's talk about um, Axel F theme in the movie. I felt like the theme for Axel the Axel F theme rather um, did its job. I, you know, it does. It's it's got a comedic element to it. So listening to it, where they placed it in the the funny uh, parts of the movie, kind of seemed to make the scene a little bit more funnier. It did, and especially like the 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 scene that it was originally written for, the banana and the tailpipe scene. I mean, it it, it fit. Well, yeah, because you know the waiter the waiter looks over Eddie Murphy's character, gives him a wink, you know, and Axel gives him a wink, or no, Axel gives him a wink, the waiter gives him a wink. And then, you know, it continues to put the bin. It, it, it fit with the humor, and it fits Axel Foley. It fits that character. I mean, it just works because it starts off with the bass line, and then it, you know, slowly kicks in with the percussion. Then it comes in with the main melody and everything else of the higher synth. It now, works. it worked also with the action pieces. So, the, of course, it's a cop movie. So you have action. You have some gunfire. You've got shootouts. And it worked for those scenes, too. Yeah, it did. It, I mean, it didn't take away from the scenes. It didn't, um, it didn't clash what was going on. It, it worked fine with those scenes. Now, there was another score piece. It was, uh, I believe he called it the shootout theme, which was pr- played like over and over and over on repeat during the entire ending of the film. That, to me, did not work. It, it was way too upbeat. It was just... it. I don't know. It, there should have been something different there for that. I mean, because it's it's a very it's it's an almost a very dark moment for the film, except for Billy and Taggart trying to climb over the wall, which was yeah, still, that was kind of funny. It, it was still funny, but I mean, it's it's the 
climactic moment of the film, the hero is, you know, chasing down the villain, which, you know, the actor playing Victor Mainland was a very scary looking person. His eyes just kind of freaked me out a little bit. His hitman's eyes freaked me out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, Foley's chasing down the bad guy there, and it was a dark moment, but you've got this very upbeat pop sounding score that's playing on repeat, and I was just like, that to me did not work at all. So, maybe it was the time, maybe it was because it was 1984, and I'm so used to something different now. Going back on it now, I, I could not get into it. So, you know, as you said, you felt like it didn't work for the film. I was perplexed throughout the whole film with how how did this score win awards? Um, win a Grammy. It won a Grammy. How did, how did it win a Grammy? Uh, because I felt like that even though it, it worked for parts of the film, I felt like I wanted more. I wanted more score in there. I wanted uh, some of those serious scenes to have something playing in the background. Right. Um, granted, you know, you can have too much score in a movie and it takes away from the scene. You know, there's there's a balance. You need to maintain that balance. But I felt like the the pieces that I, I or the, the, uh, the uh, scenes of the movie that I would like to have had score, there was none there. Right. No, look, I mean, we're not saying that we hate the score. That's that's not what we're saying. It's more, we're, we're not understanding so much. The placement. The placement. And, and the variety, and lack the, of variety. Lack of variety. I mean, because that, that is the, one of the main things with the score. And I after I listened to the score for this film, I went back and started listening to the score for the second film. And immediately, there's more variety. Right off the the right off the bat the very first score piece it's uh captain bogomil is jogging through the oil field and everything else and captain it, gargamel <laughs> yeah gargamel gargamel i'm no, sorry uh bogomil and he he's a character in the first film you know he's jogging he notices some stuff and everything else from what i remember i can't remember seeing the film in like years but there, there's a theme that starts up and it starts playing. There's something else that happens in the score. It, it steadily changes up, but it sounds, it sounds great. It sounds poppy. It sounds, you know, there's a beat to it. There's going. All of a sudden, it just keeps going. All of a sudden, there's another change. Another change. Then I, I kept listening to the rest of the score to see. And then I know he did bring the shootout theme back, but he changed it up. There's a lot of variety in there. The Axel F themes comes in there, and of course, there's more variety. I. I don't know. Maybe it was just because this was his third film. Perhaps it could be. You know, the director. Remember um, uh, earlier when I talked about that it took a while for them to to write the script to the movie that they were happy with. But on the flip side, they were still changing lines as this as the movie was being filmed. Right. So there is a scene where uh, the uh, chief looked like he had rolled up papers in his hand and it was actually the script because they changed lines that morning before he went in <laughs> so they left it in there because it made him look official but on the flip side no that was his script and after you told me about that i remember in my head because uh, right when you told me that i started playing that scene in my head started trying to figure out and sure enough if you go back and watch you can tell us the script if you if you can look at it and i thought that was funny yeah and so you know it could have been because of how um 
the the uh, dialogue was uncertain. You know, the uncertainty there, or it could be that the fact that uh, uh, you know it, it changed so much. But um, to me, it was just a little bit confusing right. as of to why. Well, and there, there was not like a lo- whole lot of history that we could find about the score itself or about how Faltermeyer got the job or whatever else. All we can ever find about is how, what, you know, Faltermeyer's thoughts on Axel F. That was it. Or Top Gun. Well, that's because, you know, Axel F, that was all that was playing in the movie. <laughs> I remember we were watching it and um, I got up to go get some snacks or something. And I said, uh, I'll be right back. Just leave the movie playing. I went and got him to come back. And I said, oh, how many times did I miss Axel F? <laughs> I said, you're missing it right now. And sure enough, it was playing right when I walked back into the bedroom. <laughs> I mean, I, I I like the theme, and it's not like I never got I ever got tired of hearing it when it came in. It was just like, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Oh, yeah, there you it should is again. see in my notes how many times. Theme started, Axel F. Theme started, Axel F. Theme started, Axel No score, no score. You know, Axel song, F. song, Axel F. <laughs> Like like I said, it it was a very enjoyable score, and it worked. You know, I mean, it was great. It was a great sounding score, but I don't know. I, I and it wasn't like it was uncommon in the '80s to have a film with a lot of soundtrack in there, or you know, to have a film start off like 15, 20 minutes into it, and there's no score. Because look at Back to the Future. When it started up, there was there was no score for at least 15 to 20 minutes, same with Bailey Hills. Yeah, got. and you know that... Maybe it was a time period. It could have been the time period. I, I do remember a lot of films in the 80s had a lot of source music in there instead of score. And that was a thing that kind of changed from, uh, you know, changed from uh, back in the day and the, the old movies. Right. Because now you have to deal with a lot of licensing issues and everything else, so they tend to just have a lot of score than their source music. Yeah, and maybe one day we'll talk about the, the evolution of you know music in movies. Yeah, that'll work. So as always on measuring the score, we break it down to three different criteria. Does it work for the film? Yes and no. Um, the theme works wonderful. It, it added to the scenes that were comedic. It added to the scenes, in my opinion, that were action, you know, packed. Um, no, in the fact that it was too repetitive. There was not enough variety, in my opinion. I, I felt like uh, we needed more variety in what they were playing. And it wasn't enough. There were scenes that I felt like needed a score or needed something playing. And there was nothing. Right, and I agree. I, I completely agree. There, there was, you know, it, it, it worked for the most part, but I think if there was some, you know, something else in there for different scenes, I think it would have worked even better than what was there. Yeah, you know, and, and as you were saying, the second one, it was just more variety, more action-packed, and in, in my opinion, the second movie, I, I liked a little bit better than the first movie. It was I one of my have. favorites. Uh, so I actually know, remember it more than I do the first film. Yeah. So do I, it, but I haven't seen it in forever. Uh, but I do remember the score being good. Right. Yeah. Now, your favorite scene or score for the film? <laughs> My favorite score for the film? Yeah, what, well, what was your favorite score piece? Uh, Axel, Axel F1 F- or 18? Axel F part 25. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene with the score, and it would have to be the banana scene in which the score was written. Um I like that scene. It was funny. Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, seen him sneaking around, you know, he got the upper hand with his police uh, partners, right. you know, his Beverly Hills police Billy, partners. Billy Rosewood and Taggart. Now, that that was my favorite scene with the score, but it's not one of my favorite scenes. I think one of my favorite scenes is when Foley goes and visits uh, Maitland, the, the bad guy at the country club. And he's talking with the guy at the the front, and he's like, you know, maybe I should go give him this message myself. But you know, he, he plays a very humorous scene, and then when he he meets the guy, he, he's almost kind of scary the way he he's talking to this. You know, he he's very cool, calm, collected, but it's almost an eeriness to him because he's like, "Hi, Vic." And it's like it, it's almost it it's, it's almost Star Trek with Eric Bana, where he's like, "Hi, Christopher, I'm Nero." This this nonchalant, slightly evil like. He's fixing to mess you up. But see, you know that it shows the range of the actor there, right? Yeah, and he had such a uh, uh, he's a great actor. He's he is, and he's, he's he still actor. is. And, and you know, he's being handcuffed, and he's just staring this guy down like you killed my friend. I'm going to take you down for it. Yeah, you know, there's a serious side to a lot of Eddie Murphy's acting, and so um, you know, we saw just a piece of that there. Uh, yeah, he's a, a comedian, but uh, I've seen him in some serious parts and or pieces, uh, movies rather, and he's done an amazing job in those as well. He he is really a, a versatile actor. He's really wonderful. So, what could have been done better? I think we've already discussed this. More variety, more it, variety, it, and I think more placement throughout the movie. Right. Um, I would have liked to have heard it in in several different places. One of the scenes that uh, I felt like it was needed, you've already mentioned, was when his friend died. Right. He could have had some sad music playing. Maybe or not something. even sad music. They could have had like a low bass note, a low or drone, something, or something. Something. Or the scene where he meets his friend, where he goes into his apartment and his friend's sitting there, uh, you know, in front of the refrigerator. Instead of just the Axel F theme playing, yeah. have something else. Put something else there. So um, that's what I would have liked to have happened with this movie same here there you know i've been saying it from the beginning there should have been more variety and there, there should have been i mean if i was scoring this film i would have tried to change it up every so often i could have there's there's been a lot of times where the director is like let's bring the theme back in there and i'm like no let's let's not let's just hold off bring the theme in only when it's needed you know only you know, that way when you get it it's almost like a bonus like oh it came back that way it's not drilled into your head aha yeah exactly I heard you. <laughs> yeah and exactly i mean because there's a lot of moments where i've scored and the director is like that let's bring this back let's bring this back no let's let's hold off a little bit because you do not want the audience to get to the point where they hear it so much they get tired of it and unfortunately i think that's may have what happened here now granted it won a grammy but still we heard it so much it got stuck in our memory banks exactly <laughs> i was even singing it today <laughs> which one the uh john benjamin version or Faltemeyer? <laughs> <laughs> Really, Fultemeyer's version until I re-listened to John Benjamin's version also earlier today. Because, you know, to me, that's just hilarious. <laughs> well, so that, you know, in conclusion, the, the score was great. It was a great listen to, but overall, it needed more variety. and It, it works. It's It works somewhat for the film. There could have been some changes. Uh Changes up to it. I mean, that's really... So, we like it, but at the same time, there could have been more, unfortunately. So, that's going to do it for episode seven. Now, our next episode is Hard Rain by Christopher Young. Now, I'm very excited about this one. I have never seen the movie. 
The score is wonderful. I have the, never heard the, the score because I have never seen the film's the not bad. It's not a bad film. The score is fantastic, but it, there's a very special reason why I like the score, and we'll talk about it on the next episode. For uh, as always, you can find us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can send us an email: measuring the score at gmail Facebook, just type in measuring the score podcast. Uh, we're on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio. Uh, pretty much everywhere you YouTube. Can think. Yes, we are now on YouTube as well. Just type in Measuring the Score Podcast or type in Chris Lott or Leslie Lott behind it. You're going to find us on there. For our closed caption friends. Yes, we do have some. <laughs> so, seriously, uh, if you guys want to reach out to us, you can find us on social media. Give us some you know, ideas. Give us some scores that you think would be great for us to cover because, you know, we love getting them. Now, we do have some submissions already for season two, which is going to be great. I, I'm very excited about some of these. I am as well. So for measuring the score, as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Lott. And I'm Leslie Lott. Have a good one. Hey, everyone. Before we close this episode completely out, I want to give a big shout out to Dan and Manny over at the Nostalgia Test Podcast. They're starting off their Rocky series with Rocky 1 all the way to Rocky Balboa. What's great about that is they asked us to come along for the ride. That's where we get to start off the Rocky series with Rocky 1, talking about the score, the movie, the trivia, pretty much everything else. It was a lot of fun. Dan and Manny are great guys. They have a lot of great content I'm sure you're going to love. That episode is supposed to be releasing Tuesday, May 11th, which is the day after this episode releases. So after you listen to this, Tomorrow, go check out the Nostalgia Test podcast. You can go to their website, thenostalgiatest.com. They have a newsletter there. Yeah, a newsletter. We don't even have a newsletter, but they have a newsletter. So make sure you sign up. Go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is where I talk to them at. And when you get there, tell them that we sent you. So as always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris. Have a good one.